This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everybody and welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast that is kind of like a short stack. We're just a couple of flapjacks. That's right. It's the uh, weekly podcast where we bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. My name is Zach Snack, and with me as always is my gorgeous co-host... It's me, Noon, um, and it's lucky that I've got the looks because my brain is operating on about like 3 to 5% today. So hopefully I will successfully read all of the words that I've written down, but we'll see. Welcome to the wild world of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, we, we had a week off. Uh, I had to work last weekend, so we played a little bonus episode. Thank you, everybody, for uh, being patient with us, and we're looking forward to getting back in the hot seat, you know, getting back on top of the news, Noon. Luckily, there's just enough news this week. The perfect um, amount, Yeah, some might say. Yeah. Sh- should we drop into our, our first story, Zach? Let's, let's no, into it. No, we shouldn't, because we should shout out Patreon. Oh, yeah, let's, let's, let's give a big thank you to all our patrons. Let me just... Uh, just uh, oh. Um, hmm. uh, oh no, we didn't get any this week. But you should sign up anyway. If you give us a dollar, uh, you get a bonus uh, episode each month, kind of like the one that you might have listened to last week, um, but different ones. And you can also hop in our Discord and high tiers to get other cool shit. So do that. Yeah, I'd recommend it. In the meantime... Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no, take it away at once. So yeah, not not going to do a huge amount on this story because it's just getting covered elsewhere and probably in mm. more depth and better and also funnier. Um, but <laughs> uh, you know, we didn't want to not touch it as yeah, well. So yeah. I'm just going to talk a little bit about News Corp's new Mission Zero. So, bit of context: the United Nations Climate Conference is coming up, COP26. Mm-hmm. Countries are being asked to come along with uh, you know ambitious. 2030 emissions reduction targets, and there has been some mm, flib-flabbing, mm-hmm. one might say, mm-hmm. about whether or not um, our Prime Minister Scott Morrison will go. He was like, nah, and then people were like, fuck you, and he was like, oh, all right. And uh, But, you know, obviously this is compounded by the fact that he's in a coalition with a party, uh, several of whom are stalwart climate denialists. Mm. So Morrison is now in this kind of... P- slightly awkward position where he has to go to a climate conference and make an announcement that he hasn't actually made a deal on with his coalition partners yet. Yeah, yeah. So he says that... that so, ha- like, he he really he said no, that he didn't want to go initially because he knew he was just going to get roasted because that's what happened last time and the yes. time before that because every time we go and we're like, yeah, see, um, we're doing nothing. Everyone's like, and why are you so terrible? Mm. Um, and obviously he didn't want to subject himself to that, which is, you know... On a personal level, fair enough. But you are the leader of the country, dude. Like, It's your job to suck it up. This yeah. is your failure, and you deserve to be uh, publicly Mocked dacked. for it, yeah. Mm. About it, yeah. Mm. Figuratively dacked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one wants to. Go on. No. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they, they, Morrison says that uh, 
the libs and the nats will knock out some kind of um, deal on net zero by 2050 sometime in the next fortnight. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but the kind of other major climate story in Australia over the last week has been that climate champion Rupert Murdoch, mm -hmm. whose grassroots environmental organization News Corp has mm -hmm. just launched mm -hmm. a new national campaign to limit global warming to four degrees, which is obviously great news. Seriously? Uh, <laughs> to limit to four degrees? Is that really well, there? No, they've... Because um, <laughs> that would be hilarious if that, that was literally part of their messaging. But It's not... I mean, they're... <laughs> Their superliminal visible messaging is net zero by 2050, but uh, that will quite likely result in four degrees of warming yes. if everybody else on Earth also followed the same policies. Gotcha. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, News Corp, you know, famous climate denialists, skeptics, mm -hmm. um, wreckers. Shitting on renewable energy for yes. decades. Yep. They are in the midst of publishing a two-week editorial series called Mission Zero. So, yeah, it calls, it's calling for net zero emissions by the year 2050, which is a totally insufficient target, which means that we can lock in a whole bunch more production and burning of fossil fuels. Yeah. And will, you know, is, is a policy position that is consistent with roughly three to four degrees more warming. Uh, in other words, uh, deaf earth. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> very, very bad times. Um, they put headlines on four of their major mastheads, the Daily Telegraph, the Herald Sun, the Courier Mail, and uh, the Advertiser, which is published somewhere called, um, South Australia, according to my notes. You like that one? <laughs> I like that you've made that joke twice in the last five minutes, yeah. <laughs> my, I have a look, I already have the things here to shuffle. <laughs> yeah, I, you're not going to shuffle them? Besides, yeah. what do you want from me? You know? It's an audio format. There's I like three one jokes joke available. for this podcast. Is that? You're roast me over this. Leaning in real close. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, two jokes. Two jokes. Um, yeah, so uh, headlines, that with they're putting out headlines such as, you know, how we can go green and save jobs in a net zero world, how Australia could be number one in the new global economy, and every one of these front pages has somebody in high-vis and two of them are variations on the theme of dad in hard hat and high vis stands with kids on a road, which is very, the whole thing, just, you know, like, even when they're doing something like this, they just can't. Nominally not, good. Yeah. No, they, they can't, they can't make it feel not like some kind of fucking dog whistle. It's just very strange. Anyway, uh, here's a quote from uh, an editorial from the editor of the Daily Telegraph, Ben English. For too long, the climate debate has been dominated by ideology and extremism. Which, uh, which we hey, have been proud to be contributing to. <laughs> thank you so much for speaking out against it, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a quote from the Mission Zero website. Perhaps the major reason that action on climate change has so repeatedly stalled in this country is that debate has fallen victim to a culture of constant complaint that nothing is ever good enough and everything is too little too late. Is that an anti-CPRS dig? <laughs> That's it's like it's it's literally Greens voted against the CPRS. Yeah. And like anybody who tells us that our climate denialism is bad for the planet is actually making us more denialists, so it's their fault. Like yep. shut the fuck up. Yeah. So like News Corp's entire position on this is oh, oh no, we haven't changed our minds or anything. We're just gonna be talking about climate more, which is an interesting position. 
for a company to take when they published an opinion piece during the 2019 bushfires that said, quote, it has never been shown that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. Great. So, like, no, oh, no. Such this is such a useless piece. No, they're totally shit. useless. And just, no, like... The the thing about the the, the high vis dad in a road like <laughs> the thing that wrinkles me about that is like how little they think of their audience and like mm-hmm. I mean clearly there there is an audience that likes this stuff I'm like they they do know their audience to an extent but like it's just so demeaning of like ah oh, I know how we can trick our audience into forgetting that we've been climate denialists we'll put a treaty on there. Well, that's the thing. You could swap out, you could take that exact image and swap out the headline and make it something pro coal, and it would work perfectly yeah. for the same, you know, if, if, if just for the opposite reason, which, yeah, tells you a lot about um, News Corp papers. Uh, so, yeah, there's no, no acknowledgement that they have been um, actively advocating for the mm-hmm. world to get hotter and worse and for people to die. There's no apologizing for any of it. But, okay, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say, Benny okay... Denny, love it. You, you know, we're, we're, we're totally cool on climate now, guys. So let's have a look at what they've actually been publishing. Well, cool. Um, here's a quote from an interview with Gina Reinhardt, which was published in The Advertiser in South Australia, I think. <laughs> uh, she said, We are concerned rushing to reduce emissions will cost the taxpayers billions in subsidies. And she goes on to talk about how it's going to cost pensioners more money for food if we, like, yeah, if we reduce emissions. So, you know, there's one thing that's part of the Mission Zero uh, editorial. Wait, uh, that's one that they've published as part of this? Yeah, yes. Since they've they announced can't Mission do Zero. do anything about Okay. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's what I'm saying. So this is all stuff that's been published since the Mission Zero announcement. <sighs> but what are they trying? Well, we'll get to it. Okay, okay. So okay. The, the Herald yeah. Sun also ran uh, a large ad with the title, The Great Climate Change Furphy, on the third day of the Mission Zero campaign, which was basically just, yeah, a, a paid article, which was like, yeah, climate change is fake. <laughs> um, but... One actual article that they've published that is, you know, definitely supposed to be part of this whole new, uh, you know, we're totally not climate bastards anymore approach uh, was this article about um, natural gas. And I wanted to give a shout out to Tom McLean from the Not Good Enough podcast, uh, who tweeted about this and color coded the article. Mm. um, So you can see easily on site where statements are made that are supportive of gas quotes from fossil fuel executives. Uh, quotes about how gas is bad, <laughs> mentions of climate change, and then quotes from climate scientists, and it makes wow. it very clear. I've got uh, this up here, and yeah, yeah, seeing a lot of yellow, which is statements supportive of gas. So I'm sure you'll get a lot more uh, in-depth Sorry, coverage is on that. That is green statement supportive look, of gas, but you're right. You're ju- I'm just saying, in case people look at this and they're like, "There's only a tiny bit of yellow in here, and there's a lot of green." That's what's going on. Okay. There is a lot. Of- right. yeah. My bad. Uh, but I'm sure you'll get more uh, in-depth discussion of that over on Not Good Enough uh, yeah. this week. But definitely, yeah, we'll put a link to that tweet because it's very, very illustrative. High effort and absolutely worth it. So, one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great work from Tom there. So, Noon, you're like, okay, so what really are they doing here? What is Right, the, because, like, like, why would they bother pretending that they're being concerned about the climate? 
if they're still clearly they're just pro, not going to change. If they're just not going to change, yeah. yeah. Like what? Well, like why even bother doing it? Let me read you a quote from one of uh, my favorite independent Australian political commentators, uh-huh. uh, a guy called Kevin Rudd. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, what a total bucket of greenwash from Murdoch, the supreme hypocrite whose monopoly has attacked climate action for more than a decade. Meanwhile, Murdoch's sky continues that attack, all to provide political cover for a Morrison U-turn on 2050. They really do take us for fools. So, yeah, it's it. like... I think that's fairly that's that's basically the truth. That's pretty of it. compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the the positive thing that you can kind of take from this is that it's a demonstration that the general societal attitude on climate change has moved enough that organizations like News Corp understand that they basically have to take some steps forward or be left mm. behind. And the mm. same thing is true of the Liberal Party. Now, net zero by twenty fifty is a bullshit target. You know, many people have been saying that delay is the new denialism. That makes a lot of sense to me. So these guys aren't taking real action. They're basically doing the absolute minimum necessary to make it look like they are not, you know, basically stuck in the last... virtue signaling in the worst kind of way. Yeah, exactly. Um, And yeah, and the reason it's bad is because it's putting off actual realistic or useful action. Mm. So... Yeah, I mean, this is this from News Corp is going to be totally empty until an actual climate policy is put on the table, mm-hmm. and then I imagine that we'll find out how they really that feel. That they um, don't like it that much after all. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yes. Now, um, that's some political forecasting there, my friend. Indeed. Punditry. Um, well, I learned from the best. Scrolling a lot of Kevin Rudd tweets. All right. Well, we, we shouldn't fill up on bread. Um this little aperitif joke so why don't we move on to our first full-length story yeah i will just as soon as i find that there it is you fucked up yeah so um you know a couple of weeks ago we had gladys berry juice lemon as <laughs> she is widely known um appearing before icac the new south wales independent corruption commission uh, and this week we've had uh, a federal Labour MP, a guy called Anthony Byrne, appear before IBAC, which is Victoria's relatively toothless, independent, broad-based anti-corruption commission, which is a terrible name. Um, there's hyphens in two of the words that are abbreviated <laughs> in that. It's, it's broad-based. Okay, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, so... Uh, um, there was a really good article in the Saturday paper about this. There's been a lot of reporting around it, and this was originally going to be an aperitif too, but um, I thought there was a bit more meat on this pancake bone. Um, so, Jesus yeah, it, Christ. <laughs> according to the Saturday, I told you I wasn't firing on all cylinders, man. This is No, the, th- the sad thing is that this is us firing on all pun <laughs> cylinders. This is the top of our game, <laughs> pun-wise. Sorry, everybody. All right, so... Uh, uh, According to the Saturday, as Deputy Chair of Federal Parliament's powerful Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, Byrne is a senior federal backbencher cleared to deal with top-secret national security information. Um, So he is a backbencher. He's not in Cabinet, but he is pretty much one of the most important Labour backbenchers, Mm -hmm. which, when you think about, like, the equivalent on the Liberal side, that's, you know, the George Christensen's. He's out now, but, you know. And also was a gnat, but yeah, sure. Craig Ke- whatever. Craig Kelly, but also who's not a liberal a, anymore. Not a liberal. Yeah. But like, you know, I'm just, important backbenchers, that's my point. 
Um, and so the reason that we weren't originally going to do a full story about these uh, the story is that the hearings are actually around Adam Somurek, who was a former Labour minister who we talked about quite a bit when this stuff came out, yeah. this corruption accusations came out. A Victorian Labour minister, not a federal Labour minister. Sorry, thank you. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about this is the interconnection between the state yeah. and federal layers. But yeah, you can listen to more of Zach's analysis about Adam Somurek in episode 53, Single Member Gourds. Yeah. Um, There's a pun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fucking anti-corruption o'clock, apparently, um, in the east coast of Australia. So yeah. Let's, in other uh, words, cancel culture run amok. Yeah, no one seems to be saying that around a- Anthony Byrne for some reason. That is so weird. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the most boring but also kind of easiest to get the head around corruption thing is that they seemingly corruptly used $14,000 worth of stamps for the wrong thing, which is just the dweebiest fucking crime you can imagine. That's so eyeback. It yeah. is. Too many and like, stamps. <laughs> like, Shut up. <laughs> it is. Like, it's just stealing $14,000 from... Like the 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 Labour parliamentary office mm. and using it on something for personal benefit, but the fact that they were stamp they bought stamps and then they used them as stamps, but for something else, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, we sent some different letters with these stamps straight to jail. Oh, I mean, like, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay this. It's fourteen thousand dollars of corrupt embezzlement. Yeah, it's just. The most inane, boring corruption. Australian political scandals just suck. <laughs> yeah. My boyfriend wanted an upgrade to the shooting club. Okay, so <laughs> back to the Saturday paper. Byrne detailed extensive branch stacking activities out of his own office and those of state colleagues over a period of years. He said when stacked members refused to surrender blank ballot papers to factional operatives or vote the way they were told, they were forced to order new ballot papers and say they had made a mistake. Um, so again, listen to single member courts, but in brief branch stacking listeners, if you don't know, is when you sign up a bunch of fake members, um, for your labor party branch and you rock up and you're like, yeah, yeah, I've got 500 listeners of snack pod who all live in this electorate and all want me to be the guy. Um, and they never come to meetings and there's different like levels of how bad it is. And one of the mm. reasons that this is such a big deal at the moment is that they paid for these memberships out of their own pocket, which is a really common and specific no, no. Yeah. Um, and that's how Somurek got done. Like, right. you know, branch stacking isn't actually a crime. Yeah. But- it's against some of the regulations of the party. Of the party. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah but, but Somurek started collecting envelopes full of cash in McDonald's parking lots, at which point you're crossing over into like, oh, that's a, that's you a should legal probably, no-no. <laughs> there should be a, an alarm bell ringing that's at some a sign, point. That's a sign that you should, <laughs> you should be watching your back. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, Somurek hasn't appeared in this IBAC hearing, but his lawyer did appear and cross-examined um, burn and it was a bit of one of those here you know, like uh the simpsons episode where uh i think it's Bart the murderer where they kill or they, the cops think that the mafia has killed principal skinner um and they all turn on him in his court and he's like uh, forgive me don bartholomew but he had fingers in every pie racketeering prostitution <laughs> yeah um and it's as some of your ex-lawyer was doing that he was like you ran this whole thing didn't you burn <laughs> and burn was like nah 
Um, but I mean, who knows? He might, it, it might have, but it seems like probably he did it under mild duress. Um, and one of the things that he, it, who knows? Who knows? No, well, if, I think this, one of the things about these, like the Somurek story was that like, he basically could have got away with it if he wasn't a huge fucking asshole. Right. And it was him like basically being a misogynist and a racist. Racist, yeah. And people that made people be like, okay, we gotta do something about this fucking guy. Yeah. Time for some covert recordings. But yeah, it's it's super cooked. So um uh Byrne basically hired someone as a payoff. So it seems like uh it was mm. one or maybe two people that were hired with the full knowledge that they were never gonna come to work and that they would be doing work for Adam Somurek's re-election campaign, which they're not allowed to be doing... As parliamentary staff. As parliamentary staff, but also it's illegal to hire someone so that they can get money without doing the job, aside for the other thing, yeah. Real Um, classic, uh, very classic political corruption. Yeah, and Byrne also said that the head office, so like the the Labour, like the back end, not the people in parliament, but like the people who sort of run the machinery of the party. Mm. He said they didn't so much turn a blind eye as were powerless to stop it, which is fucking wild. (laughs) And and he said that the consequences of not hiring this guy is that I probably wouldn't be sitting here before you today as a member of parliament, which isn't like necessarily the most sympathetic thing that you could say, but it does show the magnitude and the extent to which these uh, branch stackers were controlling what was going on both yeah. that they could get him out of parliament and that the head office knew about it and couldn't do anything mm. um there was something that was like the head office had us it was unclear if it was the head office or at some and i think it was at some sorry that they had something to make sure that none of the branch stacking involved dead people because the head office knew that they were branch stacking and would be looking for dead people and so they wanted to make sure that their shit was completely clean on the dead people front so that there would be no justification for an investigation, which they did successfully. And as you say, Zach, it was racist text messages that really mm. tipped it up. Yeah. So um, the Sunday also says, Byrne described seven sub-factions within his own Victorian right faction, most with links to various unions, and two sub-factions within the left. His revelations have exposed the depth of the factional warfare in Labour's Victorian branch. Mm. So that's pretty wild, because like, most people who are paying attention to politics know that there's a Labour left and a Labour right. But within that, there's like the short cons. I don't think they're called that anymore because they think mm. both Shorten and Conroy, who they are named after. It's so funny. Short cons because it's like a long con, but yeah. it's a short con. Yeah. Very funny. Um, and so on Factions and so forth. Factions within factions. It's a horrible Russian nesting doll of political vipers with absolutely no values right. beyond claiming power and money for themselves and their friends. Yep. Um, so already this week, a state Labour MP. So again, Byrne is a federal MP. Somurek was a state MP, and they were all doing branch decking. Um, so, yeah, a state Labour MP, Luke Donnellan, has resigned from the ministry after Byrne said that he paid for people's membership as part of stacking. Again, as we said, that's kind of like a bridge too far, apparently, mm. to pay for it yourself. Um, so, yeah, what does this mean going forward? So, this is, put my analysis hat on. Um, Byrne's strifometer reading. Right at the upper end of untenable. So that means if anything else comes out, it's going to flip all the way up to embattled. Um, He's going to be out, so... Yeah. He's clearly decided to whistleblow on some level, right? Like, I think he he got got dragged into this. He didn't want to incriminate himself. But, like, now he's here. He's like, fuck it. Uh, So so about these stamps, and he's like, oh, so much branch stacking. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
exactly. Um, it seems likely he'll resign soon. Maybe he'll just resign from Labour and stay in Parliament till the end, till the next election. Or blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, obviously, Labour is all fucking furious with him, even if people don't actively love corruption. This is bad for the party, you know? So mm. I don't think he's going to be very welcome in the Labour Party room anymore. Yeah, people are mad at him, not for the branch stacking. No. <laughs> Ma- but for talking mad at- about it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah speaking Snitches out of Snitches get no real lectures. Um, <laughs> yeah, so probably more state and federal Labour MPs will be investigated as part of this IBAC stuff. I don't see any of the structural issues that led to this being fixed anytime soon because that would probably mm. require some people who aren't currently under investigation to admit that something was going wrong and it would probably fuck up the chance of getting elected as in the entire party for like a solid electoral cycle or two a la yeah. New South Wales Labour. Um, so probably just gonna try and do it a bit more sneaky i guess um there's been some speculation mostly from conservatives but not exclusively about daniel andrews the victorian state labor premier and anthony albanese who's the leader of the federal labor party their involvement and their response Mm. um so albo has basically said well we'll wait till the ibac investigation is finished which is pretty weak shit um and like they've been trying to talk about Gladys and about the federal government, like fucking Christian Porter and all of the awful corrupt yes. shit. And it's like, well, you, but you can't do your anything about your own Your entire party machine pe- is so corrupt that it couldn't not yeah. be if it wanted to. Yeah. And like having seen rats in the ranks, I think Albo is too clever to have had his hands directly in any recent branch stacking. Also mm. too popular. Like he doesn't need to branch stack at this point, but yeah. um if he takes strong action, it will blow up the whole party. And if he takes no action, the government will stump on him for it. So that's going to be uh, fun watching Labour lose the next election. Um, I mean, they were going to lose it anyway. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Peter Krenlin, uh, Kredlin, uh pumped out a beautiful headline that you alerted me to, Zach. Oh, uh, yeah. Daniel Andrews, quote, uneasy amid IBAC hearings. Um, which, as you said, Zach if Peter Credlin is saying something about a Labour Party person, probably the opposite is the case. Daniel Andrews, extremely chill amid IBAC investigation. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so Daniel Andrews, I do know less about, haven't seen a movie that he didn't feature in, like Rats in the Ranks. Um, <laughs> uh, but it seems like he has been at least riding the wave of branch stacking. Uh, whether or not he's been personally actively involved or specifically aware or endorsing or preventing investigation. Couldn't say. No idea about any of that. But he got the job with the support of Adam Somirak. And everyone knew about Adam Somirak, so... Yeah, it's dodgy. He's managed to basically, like, cauterize the wound. Like, well, he did after Somirak. Yeah, yeah, now it's it's like, we're, we're not doing any pre-selections like we're bringing in uh independent review and that kind of thing and and it sort of died down and then you know it was in the midst of like corona as well but yeah um, now it seems like the whole thing is going to be rearing its head again but he's in a much more stable like politically stable position than albanese is, oh absolutely yeah 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 so yeah yeah he's it's hard not. to see this making a dent in, uh, also he's the speculation is andrews isn't running for re-election next time um so yeah, we'll see. 
He doesn't give a fuck anyway. But yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, just to finish this story off, uh, several of the articles that I read about it have ended with a quote from Matthew Guy being like, well, yes, this is clearly very concerning for the Victorian Labour Party. Um, anyway, let's a- not talk about branch stacking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one, Matthew Guy. Uh, but hey, journalists, maybe don't include those quotes. Or if you do, just like mention some of Matthew Guy was also His involved. His famous in. crimes. Yeah. Lobsters. The things that he is most just list the things that he is most famous right. for. Not even just his crime. To just see crime. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very true. Thanks for that rundown, Noon. No worries. Why don't we move on now? Positivity corner. What could be more positive than exposing stamp-based corruption? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I got two. I got two positive. Positive stories this week. Nice. First off, uh, and a hat tip to Steph from Loud, Angry and Not Sorry for this story. Here's a headline from the ABC. Queensland landlords stripped of automatic refusal on pets in rental those, properties under new housing bill. Those poor landlords. Oh, uh, they're just every being week. stripped of We really their need rights. a new sting. You know, like <laughs> landlords are being oppressed once again. Yeah. Kind of sting. Hear the, the cries of the populace. Weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth. You know, now landlord cop is behind bars. <laughs> they they really don't have anyone looking out for them anymore. <laughs> They've let the people's champion. Uh, yeah, so a new housing legislation amendment bill has passed in Queensland, which, among other things, means that landlords have to have a valid reason to refuse pets now. Tenants experiencing domestic violence can end a lease with just seven days' notice and can change the locks on a rental property without the landlord's permission, which is cool. Mm. Going to read directly from the ABC article here. Quote, no evictions without grounds evictions, Um, which sounds good to me. Great. (laughs) Love Um, it. Yeah, and also strengthening housing standards by increasing the fines for landlords for, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when they don't follow the rules. Uh, they've increased the fines to almost $7,000 if repairs aren't completed. Um, so, you know, these are all things that do strengthen the rights of tenants, which I think is maybe a better way to frame this story, ABC, than yeah. landlords stripped, stripped of the, of the right, right to automatically refuse people's pets. But whatever. Uh, they just they literally just need to make up a reason now. That's all. But anyway, it's still good. It's good. It's good. Well, interestingly... Um, so we have similar laws here yeah. in Victoria, which came into effect, I believe, earlier this year. They were legislated last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and ba- and since the, those laws have been introduced, only one landlord has successfully appealed to keep pets out of a property. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, in New South Wales. So the, so the laws are like, they're, they're fairly strong. You know, basically cool. the assumption is you can have a pet. Landlord has to have a very good reason uh, not to let you have one. And they can't. I read some... I read in Domain, they, they, have, they listed a couple of examples of um, appeals against pets from landlords that got knocked back. And yeah. one of them was, like, uh, in a three-story house with, a te- like, a terrace, the landlord was like, if they get a dog, the dog could fall off the roof and then hurt somebody on the way down. <laughs> Premium. Premium and the shit. tribunal was like, mm, we're going to allow this pet. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, cool... We've got that here in Victoria and in Queensland. In New South Wales, comparatively, landlords can still put a no-pet clause in a lease agreements. I guess, you know, hey, if you're looking for one of the benefits of a state Labor government over a state Liberal government, there's one. Um, and uh, It's still finish, corrupt, but you will get a doggo. Yeah, so. exactly. Hey, look, I take mean, it where you can get it. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, I, I couldn't end this story without reading this classic line from the Real Estate Institute of Queensland, who represents uh, in property investors and real estate agents. Mm -hmm. Quote, these changes swing the pendulum distinctly in favor of the tenant. We will see some investors making the decision to sell. The ripple effect of this could see renters struggling to find suitable housing under already tight conditions. Uh, and the logic of like any improvement in the rights yeah. of renters equals swinging firmly will... in the opposite. <laughs> and it's actually bad for renters when you think about it, because the more rights they have, the less people will want to give them a house. Like, shut yeah, what's going to happen to those up. houses? Do people just burn down houses when oh, they yeah, sell we're just, them? They're, they're going to sell. They're going to sell oblivion. To yeah, yeah, <laughs> genius shit. Anyway, um, if you're in Queensland, Facts get a dog. Logic. Fucking woo. A Adopt, don't shop. And secondly, yeah. uh, I wanted to give a little quick update on the uh, far western New South Wales town of Wilcannia, which we have spoken mm -hmm. about before. They had uh, the worst per capita outbreak of COVID anywhere in Australia, and they now have zero active cases, which is really That's cool. That's amazing. Uh, here's a quote from the ABC. The Far West local health district said all 152 people who contracted COVID, more than 20% of the town's population, have recovered which is really cool. Only one person uh, was hospitalized with the virus, which is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, I've got a quote here from Barkinji man, Owen Wyman. Everyone got together and went and got tested. Thanks to, thanks to those who got vaccinated. It was good for the community and it's just good to be out and about. Um, and I've got a quote here from the chief executive of the Far Western Local Health District. I also do believe our ability to get things organized quickly and provide support in the community was another factor. Of course, most critical of all was the communities working with us very closely and our partner organizations. So it really sounds like the community banded together and did yeah, a great absolutely. job responding to this, you know, as properly you know what they as they need could. to do and did it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a huge fucking effort and more power to the people of Wilcannia. Uh, that said, this obviously doesn't erase the massive failure of the state and federal governments to protect uh, this community and indigenous communities more broadly from COVID. You know, we've already discussed in depth the pre-existing conditions that made this town so vulnerable, mm. the big one being... Uh, overcrowding of housing, which part of the government's response to this was to temporarily bring in uh, mobile homes to mitigate the overcrowding and so to give people places to quarantine outside of family homes. Yeah. Again, so proving that basically they could have mitigated this housing crisis in this town at any mm -hmm. point if they mm -hmm. wanted to, um, which, you know, it's one of the major lessons of the pandemic, I'm sure that we can all agree. For, let, me, let me finish off here with a quote from National Indigenous TV. A Senate inquiry into the government's response to the pandemic has heard COVID-19 spreading through far west and western New South Wales was utterly predictable. Will Kenya, which has just suffered a widespread outbreak, was used as an example in July 2020 to highlight the vulnerability of Indigenous communities almost a year before the town hit headlines. And, you know, Indigenous vaccination rates are still lagging behind the rest of the population, more than 20%. So... You know, uh, but, you know, of, of uh, Indigenous people who have been vaccinated, Aboriginal health organisations are responsible for mm. 60% mm. or more wow. of those vaccinations. So, again, you know, we see the kind of failure of the government response here, but we see the success of um, these communities that have, totally. uh, yeah, come together to collaborate on their own health and well-being. But good news about Will Kenya. That's, that's a, fabulous. That's After comes up. seeing such a horrible last few months there that's that's just incredible they've um turned that around and yeah congratulations yeah. and yeah so impressive yeah. yeah absolutely power and solidarity now thanks to me speaking so quickly for that last segment i think we're basically back on time okay which means that it must be time for 
Hey, man, I've got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. Now, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. That's right. It's also the shitpost of the week. And uh, we're giving this to Rushi Boring, um, who uh, we kind of shouted out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, thanks, those, Bagel. Those Bagel calming treats are working really well. Oh, they're doing so well. He does not approve of Rushi winning this. <laughs> How do you know he's not just vocally showing his support? That's true. Well, congratulations, Rushi. Uh, yeah, Rushi, a couple of weeks ago... Um, uh, posted that Sadis meme, which was our cover image for the episode, but we didn't specifically give her shitpost of the week. And so this week we are officially giving shitpost of the week. This is for some uh, original content. It's Dominic Perrottet, the new Premier of New South Wales, with one of his children standing behind him crying, uh, and another one of his children, a newborn baby, held in his arms that he's smiling down on. Uh, and the the crying child behind him is labelled citizens who have been dutifully locking down so their loved ones don't die and the baby that Dominic Perrottet is staring adoringly at is the Business Council of Australia Um, (laughs) it's a good meme it is it's I love um sorry I didn't mean to get all memeological here but uh (laughs) memes that have the same like basic semantic content and so this meme is also fundamentally the same meme as the distracted boyfriend meme or the car swerving hard to the right meme or um potentially even like kombucha lady drake point anyway whatever citizens who have been dutifully locking down kombucha lady doesn't like it business council of australia Mm. Refreshing. Okay, yeah. So um, this uh, is because the states are opening up. Um, Victoria and New South Wales are both moving towards easing restrictions despite case numbers and deaths climbing and Tasmania going into a snap lockdown to prevent an outbreak. Um, In Victoria, Daniel Andrews has said uh, that at 70% of people who are over 16 who are fully vaxxed, restrictions will continue to ease as planned, and that's likely to happen next week. Um, there'll still be notable restrictions such as no house guests. Mm-hmm. In New South Wales, Perite has already ended lockdown. Uh, sorry, we took a week off last week. Um, most businesses are open and guests uh, to houses and events are allowed. There's some restrictions on numbers and densities and so on and so forth. You know, look up the rules if you live there. Don't take it from us. Um, but as of next week, they're also planning to reopen the international border. Um, and people won't need to quarantine on the way in if they've had a vaccine and a negative test. Mm. Um, now, there has been some back and forward about this, about whether the federal government is keen on this, because um, it seems like maybe New South Wales state premier shouldn't be the one who decides about whether international borders are open or not. Um, so this yeah, Perry have... did this. Like, he announced this without any consultation with the federal government. Yeah, um, and then the which... federal... Scott Morrison was like, oh, yeah, we're just thinking about the Australian citizens at this point, um, but we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is funny because, yeah, the chatter, like, when Perrottet got in was that, like, he's basically not going to be as easy to work with as Gladys was for Morrison. And That's he's very like, funny. Yeah. This, <laughs> just <laughs> basically the is. first thing he did being like, hello, I am on the uh, block now. I'm and dictating I will do foreign policy, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
The Australian Medical Association is warning that hospitals won't cope with easing restrictions. Um, they say that, quote, public hospitals are already running at 100% capacity or close to it each day mm. and would be tipped over the edge by an influx of demand from COVID-19 cases. Um, all eight state health ministers wrote to the federal health minister, Greg Hunt, to ask for more funding for hospitals. Um this is from the ABC. In a joint letter to Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt, all eight jurisdictions have asked for immediate additional Commonwealth funding. Uh, and this is from the letter. States and territories are under unrelenting strain due to current COVID-19 demands and the pre-existing trend of increased hospital activity. We are entering into the most critical phase of the COVID-19 pandemic response for our hospital systems. All states and territories require immediate additional Commonwealth funding to support the pressures currently on our health systems. The minister's noted pressures on the hospital system had already been raised formally in meetings and correspondence earlier this year, but no action has been taken. God, that's so upsetting. So the current way that it works is, yeah, it's it's, it's bad. It's just horrifying these people getting together and being like, please, for the love of God, we're begging you to raise our capacity to help sick people. Yeah. Greg Hunt, like, huh? What? Sorry, I can't hear you. I can't hear you <laughs> over the sound of international borders reopening. Um, yeah, so currently the way it works is that the federal government funds 45% of state hospital fees, but the Liberal government has implemented a maximum 6.5% increase per year. Oh, that's very sensible economic management. Well, it's... That's money in the bank, Noon. Yeah. Oh, it just makes me so <laughs> fucking furious. That's um, savings. That's savings yeah, in Australia's want, big bank where we keep our money. I wonder if there might have been any unusual circumstances in the last year or two that might have meant there's been a greater than 6.5% increase in the Demand pressures on hospitals. Hmm. Yeah. Not yeah. that I can think of. I also well, can't think of anything that would massively offset any savings put in place hmm. by a cap such as that. Yeah. 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 Weird. So, good policy, Ospol Snackbot's stamp of yeah, approval? Yeah, so, so that's a 6.5% increase that they'll pay each year. Um, but the AMA thinks we're looking at somewhere between 7%, that's the, the bottom end, and 50% increase in ICU beds needed uh, to that's deal with COVID patients. broad guess. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's modeling that had three options, and it was like, if everything goes fine, it's 7%. Gotcha, gotcha. If everything goes terribly, it's 50%. Maybe somewhere like 20 or 30 But anyway, who knows? Yeah. Um, but the impact will not just be on COVID patients, of course. So uh, here's another quote. AMA President Dr. Omar Khorshid says that'll impact a wide range of hospital activity, from emergency wait times to elective surgeries. Every doctor, every nurse in a public hospital will back up what I'm saying here. There's extraordinary pressure on our public hospitals, even those that don't have COVID, he said. Hospitals desperately are staffed, and so, for example, staff at the Women Children's Hospital in Melbourne have made multiple public mm. calls for more staff. Um, just this month, a seven-year-old girl had to wait eight hours for urgent surgery after her appendix ruptured in the oh, waiting room at the hell. Women's and Children's Hospital last month. Oh, and what a retired doctor called one of the worst cases of neglect of duty of care he had ever seen. Yeah. And these sorts of stories will become weekly or potentially daily if hospitals are choked up with COVID cases because restrictions are easing and they can't fit other people in. And so just to really ram this home, in the Northern Territory, the health department is making some absolutely cooked threats to manage the sh staff shortage. Um, and to be fair... 
it is a worse situation in the Northern Territory, and it was like this before COVID. So, but mm. it is much worse now. Um, so the NT Health has told junior doctors they face a 12-month employment ban if they resign early. So that is, if you have a job with NT Health and you quit before the end of your contract, they won't hire you again for at least a year, which doesn't seem like a good way to stop People staff numbers going down. Yeah. yeah. But mm. it does indicate how absolutely shit scared they are about this yeah um and again from the abc this letter comes just days after the nt government called its fourth code yellow emergency of the year at the royal darwin hospital due to the hospital reaching its capacity so code yellow uh i didn't know this but it means an internal or infrastructure emergency um so in these four cases it's because covid patients have overwhelmed the hospital and they've had to cancel Mm. elective surgeries for up to two weeks at a time um and just to finish off this story with a salt bay of even worse news um the nursing union this week said that they're expecting up to 700 resignations because of vaccine mandates oh great excellent the the thing that fucking kills me about this is the sort of the the deadly disease oh sorry (laughs) you meant metaphorically yeah uh yeah metaphorically uh perhaps not (laughs) the most au fait choice of words there but um sure the, just the neoliberal, like, one, two of, we have to open up for the economy. We can't give you any more money for health services because economy. The economy. Yeah. Just like, guys, please just pick one, okay? <laughs> Underfunded hospitals, okay, but, like, don't let her rip. Conservatives can have a little underfunded healthcare sector as a treat, just as long as you don't. Put 2,000 new cases of a disease into the population every week. Yeah. That's fucking deeply upsetting shit. Yeah. Yeah, so, sorry, that's all really terrible news. Unless, like, some of the people who've been yelling at me on the internet this week, you feel like the lockdown ending is worth it for all of that. In which case, it's fine. But, yeah. uh, Okay, that's the end of the COVID news, so why don't we move on now, Zach? Uh, yeah, uh, we'll move on to our First Nations stories now. We've got a couple we're going to cover here. Uh, and I'll give a content warning for, um, you know, we, we'll be using the name of an Indigenous man who's passed away in this next story. The body of a 22-year-old Gomorrah man named Gordon Copeland has been found on the Guaida River in northern New South Wales 80 days after he disappeared. Uh, so the circumstances of his disappearance are disputed. Cops say that they saw a car that was speeding through the town of Moree and later found the car bogged. And then they found Copeland nearby. And when they tried to speak to him, he was, quote, seen entering the Guaida River. Uh, Here's a quote from The Guardian. The family has disputed that version of events, saying officers had chased the car and they believed the 22-year-old who was terrified of the police dived into the water to get away from them. Um... And I've seen it suggested on social media that the car was stolen um, and being driven by Gordon's cousin, but I haven't seen that reflected in any news articles, so I don't know how reliable that that information is. But from my perspective, it doesn't really make a difference, Um, although it is, you know, evidence in favor of the family's version of events that these uh, young guys were being chased by the cops and that's why they were running away from them it seems obvious to me anyway the family's request to see the officer's body cam footage has also been denied Whoa, so i wonder what happened there yes um so basically you know from from the get-go the cops have stonewalled the family and uh you know there's been a huge amount of outrage in the community about this um 
So after uh, Gordon was seen going into the river, the cops then failed to find him for almost three months. They, they, they started searching for him and scaled back the search after five days, um, meaning that it was left to Gordon Copeland's family and community to go out and search the river themselves. Um, Copeland's mum spent thousands of dollars of her own money on, on boats and wetsuits going up and down the river. Uh, there were protests by the local community, um, you know, against the indifference of the police. Um, and these protests were met with mounted cops, um, according to a friend of the show, oh, no. Ash Dahlstrom on Twitter, which is so totally cool. It happens every time, you know, we, if we're talking about it, I can't remember because sadly there's been so many mm. First Nations people killed in our police system. But um, there was a protest at the Victorian Parliament House, I think, and the Oh, no, no, it was, it was a court hearing, and outside there was, like, 60 cops waiting to harass anyone who came out and yeah. serve them with fines and just, like, literally harassing them for going to an inquest for their murdered child. And, like, it's yeah. the same shit here. Like, people furious about cops doing fucked things and then cops yeah. well, and, reacting and with violence. It, totally. Well, you see in, in all of these cases in every scenario that the cops are the aggressors and the instigators of these scenarios, right? The, the reason why this guy was running and put himself in danger in the first place was because he was being chased by police. And then when people have a negative reaction to the cops because of that, the police take that as provocation and use yeah. it as an excuse to display even more aggression. Yeah. And how is that going to make the next kid not run? Right, right, right. In any event, the police later re relaunched their search for Copeland after the community protested. And they found his body after one day of searching. So, you know, they made the family wait all this time. And he could have been found. It seems like he could have been found much sooner. Anyway, a coronial inquest has been ordered. So hopefully the family will be able to get mm -hmm. a bit more information um, uh, out of that. Uh, and I'll, I'll end here with a, a statement from the family. He was a son, father, partner, brother, cousin, and nephew. He was excited to welcome another child into the world later this year, and we are devastated that his kids will grow up without their dad. His family said that they will remember him as a, a happy and bubbly person. Um, and we'll post a, no, uh, a we'll post a link in the show notes to a fundraiser um, for uh, the family uh, to cover the funeral costs and and other, and other stuff as well, which yeah we've contributed to. And if if you can, we'd uh, we definitely encourage it. Thanks for taking us through that very sad story, Zach. Um, next, we have another First Nations story, which is... Um, uh, well, I don't know. It's more inspiring, at least, um, uh, though still pretty horrible. Um, so this is about the Wangan and Jagalingu people. Um, so these are two Aboriginal nations who... Um, sort of uh, organizing together now. They have the same Aboriginal corporation and so on. Um, it seems like they were historically distinct, but post-colonization have kind of unified. Um, I'm not entirely clear about that, though. So, uh, But their land is in, um, you know, so-called Queensland, and specifically it includes the Adani Carmichael coal mine. Um, and so probably most of our listeners know this is a planned huge coal mine um, because of funding difficulties over the last few years, it's been downscaled to just huge instead of like mind-bogglingly enormous. Um, and so the Wangan and Jagalingu website says this: We do hereby firmly reject a land use agreement with Adani for the Carmichael Mine on our traditional lands. We do not consent to the Carmichael Mine on our ancestral lands. We do not accept Adani's offers to sign away our lands and our rights and interests in it. We will not take their shut-up money. We will protect and defend our country and our connection to it. So. 
for the past couple of months, the Wangan and Jagalingu people have established a camp. Um, it's a sacred site there, and they're performing this ongoing listening ceremony called uh, Wadanangu. So maybe we can get that cue there, Zach. Wadamuli ngaju narikuri. Nai yina Jagalingu yambanani. Yina Wadanangu. Hello, welcome. My name is Cody. We're here on Jagalingu country, and this is Wadanangu, which means the talking. What we have here is a sacred ceremonial ring, and we also have two humpies that are placed here that's there for talking. One is for us, and one is for our visitors, whoever that might be. That might be the government officials, that might be our neighbours that want to come and have a chat. It could be for tribes from further along that want to come and treat with us. This place is open for everybody to come along to come and support what we're doing here. We're doing something that connects Aboriginal people together and also showing the government that we're stronger together. We've hit a crucial point in our life. Adani has hit the groundwater. There is a real threat to Dungmabula draining now. We need your help. We need you to come out. We're inviting you. Please come out, show your support. Yeah, so um, their Facebook says this. This is not a protest. This is a peaceful cultural ceremony. We welcome everyone to Wadanangu, regardless of background, to participate in Wangan and Jagalingu culture. We do not need authorization from Adani to practice our law and customs on our country. It's our human right. Um, they've also served Adani with eviction notices. Um, and most recently, um, the police, uh, the Queensland police originally said that they weren't going to move them on because they have the human right to practice their customs um mm. on their land um and th- that was a, a big deal because apparently they didn't say anything like that to the cops the cops just came up and were like yeah we're not going to move you on because you've got human rights um but now the cops are coming up and being like all right you guys have to go now um and they're refusing to speak to them in english they're only using uh Wangano, i think uh, the, the Wangan language um which you heard um Cody, Cody, I think his name is, um, yeah. uh, speaking there. And so, yeah, he's written uh, an official letter to the cops um, and has invited them to talk with him in language with an interpreter, um, which so far they have not done. Um, so, yeah, um, they uh, say that Wiradjuri, uh, Bunjalung, Inangai, Kowanyama, Ngemba, and Pagjanti tribal nations have come to Wadanangu. An embassy, Humpi, is being built for every tribe. Um, so yeah, it looks really amazing. Um, you can follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Um, their websites, one's called standingourground.org and one, one's called wangandjungalingu.com.au. Um, I'll post links in the show notes, but yeah, if you can safely and legally travel to their country, please do. They, they're very specifically requesting people come and, um, come to their land, have a chat and, um, yeah, support their camp. So yeah, it's staunch as fuck. Very it's cool. So good. Uh, and yeah, there's a bunch of amazing videos on, on Facebook and Insta. So definitely, definitely worth a, a scroll. Mm. Yeah, front line against environmental destruction. Yeah. Solidarity. All right, I'll move on to our last segment now. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. <laughs> <laughs> now, we haven't yeah, had a blurst take for a minute. No, we, nice. didn't, we didn't hear this thing that often. 
Um, I mean, we did one a couple of weeks ago, but it was a real like shoehorn. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. it was like a Clive Palmer text message or something, which is like you know, <laughs> technically it is a bad take, take yeah. but yeah. But we've got a real traditional bread and butter bad take this week. We have an opinion piece from the Ooh, Australian, wow, which is real. You know, we're getting back to our roots here. Proclaim this is an opinion it. piece written by Australian col- columnist Janet Albrookson. Headline: Grace Tame is surrendering her position to dirty. Politics, real cool, uh, cool position to take. Choice of words as well, as you can imagine. The rest of the article stays as cool. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'll read you a paragraph from mm-hmm. early in the piece. Tame's ability to rise from the trauma of sexual abuse and speak for survivors is heroic. Noon, can you guess what the next word is? Uh, is it? But. It doesn't give the young woman a free pass from cool-headed and careful analysis when she chooses to politicise her position. And that is surely what she is doing as Australian of the Year. I mean, she didn't fucking decide to be Australian of the Year. (sighs) When she was made it, she should have never made a political statement ever again. Yeah, you know, people who become Australian of the Year famously don't campaign on the issues that they have... Been well, they're allowed to campaign. Before. They're just not allowed to say anything mean about people that Janet Albrechtson likes. Ah, uh, that does make sense. Okay, yeah, that's fair yeah, enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what Albrechtson is talking about here is you listeners might have seen there was a bit of a palaver over um, Pauline Hanson making an appearance on Jessica Rowe's podcast. Jessica Rowe being an I want to say an ex Channel Ten news reader. Okay. Not- I don't know her that well. She's got a podcast, apparently. She had Pauline Hanson on it. It was, it was I can't remember what the subtitle was, but it was like, Pauline talks, like, life, love, and how she gets through it all, or whatever the fuck. And Great. people were like, hey, why what the fuck? this softball <laughs> interview with Australia's most prominent racist? Yeah. And then, of course, you get the natural backlash of people being like, cancel culture. So that's what Albrechtson is mostly talking about here. She's also talking about Grace Tame having criticised several um, liberal party politicians. So, what's the issue? Quote, she has undermined her position as Australian of the Year by telling the country that the Prime Minister lacked a moral compass when he temporarily promoted Porter, then still a Minister of the Crown, to acting Leader of the House. I'm sorry, but I don't think Australian of the Year comes with any obligations. No, it does. You are legally you not allowed be to negative to anyone that, that... Brexton likes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. It's right there in the Magna Carta. <laughs> It just shits me off. So you can, oh, like, you can have this shitty opinion without pretending that Australian of the Year is like some hallowed neutral position. To finish off that quote, it was a double-barreled political attack that revealed more about a young and impressionable woman than about the Prime Minister or Porter. (laughs) Just... Possibly the most fucking patronizing sentence I've ever read. Okay, that's very funny. I just... Uh, um, Zoom popped up with a notification saying, are you listening to music? Presumably because of that groan I just did. Um, <laughs> it was a musical groan. Thank you. Uh, yeah. The next paragraph then goes on to undermine the credibility of the woman who accused Christian Porter of rape, which mm-hmm. is obviously very, very cool. Mm-hmm. 
Then Albrechtson goes on to say Tame shouldn't attack Amanda Stoker's promotion to assistant minister for women because, quote, Stoker is a defender of women's rights. She has a stellar career, is raising three children, and is a testament to what a young woman can achieve. Okay, I'm sorry, but being a girl boss three and being a, a, a three defender of feminist rights is not the same thing. You, yeah, like, well, when she's talking about women's rights here, what she actually means is Amanda Stoker is a transphobe. Right, so right, right. that's Albrechtson's version of being a feminist. What a defender of women's rights is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Tame, like, the situation that she's talking about here is that Grace Tame was angry at Amanda Stoker because Stoker supported Bettina yeah. Arndt, a men's rights activist who gave a platform to Grace Tame's actual abuser. Yep. I'm going to quote here from, from Grace Tame. The new assistant minister for women supported Miss Arndt's fake rape crisis tour aimed at falsifying all counts of sexual abuse on campuses mm-hmm. across the nation. Like, yeah. To, the, Albrechtson just very conveniently glosses over, like, Grace Tame's very direct and personal reason to be upset. Right, right, at, right. At her oh, appointment. it's political and impressionability. It's like, no. Yeah. That was him. Mm. And she's got him on his show. On, like, yeah, my, but Stoker sorry, has three kids. So, so, yeah, that's yeah, right. You know. Defender of women's rights. Yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. Albrechtson uh, then talks about uh, what she makes. She suggests that no one who has children can be an evil woman. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Albrechtson then goes on to suggest that activists maybe shouldn't be eligible for Australian of the Year, and then says that Tame is just being exploited by other political interests, just like Greta Thunberg. And oh yeah, that's that's Australian (laughs) opinion piece bingo, baby. Oh, I think I've got. The full rogue. <sighs> Millions of tiny little arm hairs and neck hairs on splotchy red 65-year-old plus skin just went fully erect on bodies across the country. <laughs> so that sentence so got away from annoyed. me slightly. It did, it did. But- I wasn't sure where you were going with that, but it did like convey my mood, if not, you know... <laughs> My actual thoughts, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the general sort of, like, conservative position of, why won't this young woman just shut the fuck up and yeah. stop saying things that I don't like? Very, yeah, a very well, look, nuanced position. Everything she says might be true and well-justified, but, um, uh, she's a paid actor, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> she wait, makes way too much sense. Her opinions are too well-formed. She must just be a puppet. Uh, here's another great quote. I wondered whether some of the great books of literature and philosophy would help to encourage her to pause and perhaps bring some unifying heft to being Australian of the Year. Yes, most were written by old white men. If you think that's reason if you think that's reason enough to call these books, then you really do need to read them. Just like, like you could just straw man any harder. I oh. Ooh. I'm sorry, Janet Albrechtson, you have no idea whether or not Grace Tame has read Shakespeare. Dostoyevsky, or, yeah. Have, have you... Yeah, but the, like, specific uh, example that... But also that... I'm sorry, I know I'm oh. hopping on about this Australian of the Year thing. I don't care about the Australian of the Year that much, but fucking Albrechtson clearly thinks that this is something like the Prime Ministership, and that... 
Like, <laughs> we need to have very detailed rules about what these people can and can't do. If they're going to be a strand of the year, we need a reading list. Uh, we need to make sure that they're not going to say <laughs> anything mean about people that I like. And then, once they get it, they're not allowed to promote any policy positions or suggestions. That's what we need from our leaders. Yeah, like, you know, you're allowed to talk about issues, sure. But talking about their causes, that's partisan. Talking about solutions, solutions, that's divisive. Talking about how they directly affect you, you're a puppet! You're a fucking puppet! Um, Yeah. But but my favorite, honestly, my favorite thing, my favorite, favorite thing about this piece Uh is that she has that whole paragraph about the great books of literature and philosophy and, oh, I bet you haven't even read them because they're by old white men. (laughs) And then the specific example that she gives is The Crucible by Arthur Miller from the 50s, which is a, you know, if you haven't read it, is a story about witch hunts in Salem and is an analogy for the communist witch hunts in the 50s. And is it so, anti-communist? Anti-communist witch hunts, that's right. So I mean they were hunting for yeah, anyway. The like and it goes on to basically be like Grace Tame would know if she had read The Crucible that witch hunts are bad, and that's why you shouldn't complain when racists go on podcasts. This fucking six-figure columnist is literally has published a hit piece on a young woman in a nationally circulated newspaper and he's using it to lecture her about witch hunts. Also, like, I'm sorry, but Grace Tame has a literal degree in theatre arts and liberal arts. <laughs> There's a 98% chance that she has read The Crucible I and reckon, fucking performed I'm, in it. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Grace Tame can probably quote a line from The Crucible off top and Janet Albrechtson can't, because there isn't one in the yeah. article. <laughs> she also quotes some Shakespeare. She quotes Merchant of Venice and then talks about... Yet another Grace obscure Tame. old man that I'm <laughs> sure Grace Australian of the year Grace any- Tame has never heard about. <laughs> Shakes who? Anyway. Uh, yeah, she goes into, and she compares Grace Tame's just- calling for, like, saying don't platform racists compares that to Grace Tame wanting a pound of flesh from the politician she doesn't like. Which, like, way to, like, single out the single most anti-Semitic <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare play. And, and like and that's the only one that she quotes as well. Anyway. People named Albrechtson shouldn't quote the Merchant of Venice. Yeah. <laughs> terrible article. Wow. Just terrible position that doesn't hold up to any kind of mild scrutiny at all. Just a, a whole bunch of bullshit, but like, you know, it's a preamble basically that like they un- the the sort of conservative media understood, you know, for a while that basically they couldn't really criticize Grace Tame without coming off as like deeply fucking disgusting horrible yeah. people. And this clearly is like they're just testing the waters. Like can we start to criticize her publicly without being seen to be publicly uh, shaming and vilifying a survivor of sexual assault and, like, an important public figure who is widely respected. Yeah. So, that, yeah, I mean, this seems to be paving the way for more stuff like that. So, like, fuck you, Albrechtson. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, fuck you, the Australian. Before we uh, started this segment, we were just, like, at 60 minutes, and we are like, hey, should we do the last one? Should we not? And um, I'm really glad that we did, Zach, because that has filled me with enough rage to propel me throughout the rest of my day. Oh, great. Um, I'm just going to be hopping with that. Yeah, humming. Uh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 
deeply enraging. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should read some philosophy to deal with that, but you probably won't because it's written by old white men. Fuck, anyway. you got me. You got me good. All right. If you want the show. podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. It's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. Yeah, um, follow us on all of the socials, uh, sub, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Those are the main ones. Uh, we, we have Patreon. If you like the show, if you want to get an extra hour of us every month, you can give us a dollar over on patreon.com forward slash Um And you get a bonus episode, get access to our Discord server where you can chat with us about breaking news. And we can be like, oh, sorry, I haven't read that yet. Um <laughs> And at higher tiers, you get other cool gifts and, and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, leave us a review over Please on Apple do. Podcasts if you haven't done that. We haven't had H- any hit for the a minute. Follow by, hit the follow button on Spotify. Subscribe. That's what you want to do. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. You know the deal. Uh, come watch me play games on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Noon Plays Games. This week I've been playing the My Little Pony Hearts of Iron mod. So it's like World War II, but My Little Pony. I know nothing about My Little Pony, and it's been uh, quite a delightful time. So if that sounds fun, (laughs) come drop on by. Sounds great. Now it's time for a pop game. So I I do have a bagel anecdote, um, but it's Mm. not an update exactly. It's a classic uh, crusty sort of moment um, uh, i was talking about this the other day zach when we were, we were sketching uh, planning out our, our scaffold for this week's show but um back when i first got bagel it was a couple months old and um there was a sunflower in the backyard well there were a couple but there was one particular one and he was out there one evening you know the sunflower had been there the whole time he'd never b- been bothered by it before but this evening <laughs> it was just like such a, like i wonder where this story is going he hadn't been bothered by this sunflower <laughs> Well, whatever there's any like, item you have in a to story give a caveat, about any any object in a bagel story yeah. yeah yeah well like yeah there's plenty of things that he gets worried about that's fine this one he hadn't been for a while and then this evening he was just like this fucking sunflower and the sunflower was kind of like hanging forward slightly so it had this like large head sort of leaning downwards and oh, bagel okay. was like in other words fucking menacing bagel it was about to kill someone staunching bagel yeah do you want to fucking go public 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 bagel just like ran over to it and it was like he was quite small as a couple months old and so he was doing this hilarious like double jump where he would like leap as hard as he could and then do a little extra like with his back legs while he was in the air to try and like get his he, he couldn't quite bite it either or i don't know if he was trying to he was just like bashing it in where its chin would be and it it would you know receive the force of his snoot and bounce backwards and then bounce back to him which obviously is like oh so you do want to oh, fucking oh, go okay. i see oh, how it's it is on. Big it's man, on. Huh? Big oh. man. <laughs> yeah um he uh he he destroyed that sunflower um, oh. <laughs> and it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we had this conversation because we were, uh, we were video chatting the other day and 
Dante was on the bed with me and <laughs> basically right. he was like, he was perched right on the edge of the bed, staring out the window with like laser focus, entire body. It looked body, like a gargoyle like, or something, like not yeah. the way dogs normally sit. It was no. like all of his paws and butt on like a totally tiny, <laughs> right on the edge of the bed. Yeah, sitting as close to the edge of the bed as you possibly can and constantly trying to get more on the edge <laughs> as well. Shift, like doing all of this shifting to make it one extra millimeter closer and like staring out the window, like there is something out there about to kill, about to kill us. <laughs> this shit is <laughs> and important. Then looked out the window, and it's just literally a guy sitting in the front seat of his car, and that's it. It's not even moving. It's just sitting there. It's just sitting in his car, and Dante's like, "This is it. This, this is what we've been planning move for. Move again, move again, bro. Move again. I dare you. I, I dare leap you out this window." <laughs> Down you see, you see how close I am to the edge of this bed? I could be out that window and shut. We'll lose it. It's actually one because we we have a two story place and like our bedroom window, our bedroom's on the top floor, and it is one of my like great fears that one mm. day Dante will just like see something too scary out the window and literally just Go fucking fully bail through the window. So well, yeah, as we learned this week, you can't be denied a lease because of that danger. That's true. That's that's a very good point. Great note to end the show on. All right. Get a pup. Doesn't matter if they bust a window. It's legal. You know, if you live in one of the cool communist states. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That'll do us for this week. Thanks very much for tuning in. Hope you got something out of the show. And uh, take it easy for this week. And we'll catch you on the next one. Crunch. Uh, keep on second to the free will. Crunch. crunch. <laughs>